Sam Levine came from Odessa, where he was a fine fence presser. He really knew to make a crease. Since he improved his education in the field of dancipation, his life took on a brand new lease. It's a scream, how Levine does the rumba. You should see how his fat belly shakes. He glides and he yells, ay, 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 caramba. Then at night he complains his back Sure, the ordained know the intimate details of the Bible, but what do rabbis in love have to teach us about romance and sex? And musician Damon Hankoff of uh, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, uh, self-proclaimed fake cantor, Middle East traveler, and wannabe violin maker speaks to us from Quebec City. You can download this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave from iTunes or at shtetlmontreal.com. And then he spins like a top and he forgets when to stop. But her dream taught Lavine how to rumble. Was the daughter of Pancho Mill. She gave him six lessons and her telephone number. And that's how Lavine got the feel of the rumba. The band goes dum dum dum. Lavine goes tie and then he makes with a break and holly solid jay. Oh, Lavine is the life of each party. Oh, she always seems to be so inspired. He throws his heart and soul into his rumba. Then when he goes home, he says he's too tired to do his duty. His wife complains that her ballroom chic has lost his homework technique. She says her Don Juan don't wanna. He keeps promising manana. It's a scream, Lavine does the rumba. He's such hot stuff, he sure lets off steam. But his wife says at night she needs radar to get that Lavine on the beam. Cause Lavine gives his all to the rumba and leaves nothing for Mrs. Lavine. She needs a border to stand in for Mr. Welcome to Shuttle on the Shortwave on this lovely Friday in December. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and that was How Levine Does the Rumba by Ruth Wallace, and it's on the Idelson Society's new compilation, Latin Jewish Music from 1940 to 1980. They always have the most amazing compilations, so try and check that out. And... Uh, yeah, there's so much going on in, in arts and culture and Jewish arts and culture. And I'm going to try and uh, mention a whole bunch of things that are going to be happening in the coming uh, the coming weekend at the very least. Um, and uh, on the second half of Shtetl, one of those those things that are going to be happening is um, is a show by Out of Sight, Out of, uh, out of, sight of Land, uh, happening at Café Résonance on December 17th. And we're going to be talking with international music sensation. Damon Hankoff about his band and Damon is a real renaissance man he's born in New York City he spent a number of years making music and living in Montreal he sang at a number of spiritual institutions here in the city I've seen him get people crazy dancing with his accordion at more than one wedding he spent a year in Ramallah teaching music and now he's in Quebec City where he's studying the art of violin making and he used to be the technician for Shtetl on the Shortwave. So uh, we're going to talk with him on the second half of the show. But first, 
Marilyn Bronstein is a leader of the Jewish Renewal World, and Philip Belove is a therapist who usually analyzes the relationships of dysfunctional couples, people like you and me, just trying to make it in this screwed up world of love. And so imagine how refreshing it was for them to talk to rabbis who seem to know that their relationships are about more than just the two of them, but about making the world a better place. Sure, rabbis know about Torah and facts like which biblical character was the servant of Moses's goat herder, but what do they know about love? And do they have something to teach us about sex? Um, and uh, Marilyn and Philip believe they do, and they've recorded interviews with a whole uh, bunch of uh, rabbi couples um, from all types of denominations in their book, Rabbis in Love. And uh, I interviewed them about two weeks ago at uh, Marilyn's Loft in on St. Uh, Vieter in Montreal. And what started as an innocent question to hear about the incredible diversity in the rabbis the authors had interviewed for the book veered in a direction that I really did not expect. So take a listen. This is uh, Marilyn Bronstein and Philip Beloved. Well, we interviewed women rabbis. We interviewed um, uh, two women rabbis that were married to each other. One of them was a convert. So you have a rabbi that's a convert also. We have, um, we have, we really interviewed quite a cross section of denominations. So we had Orthodox rabbis, um, conservative, reform, definitely um, uh, reconstructionist, um, renewal, and probably the most unusual, least known one, is um, uh, Rabbi Ohad and Don, who um, follow the Hebraic path, which they actually go back to pre-Rabbinic Judaism. Yeah. And they actually say that um, um, Judaism today is... Um, Christianized, Christianized. Yeah. Christianized. They go back to um, a Judaism that's very based on the land and always also based a lot on eros. That um, their their claim is that um, the uh, the temple above the temple was the, the symbol of the holy of holies was two cherubim locked in um, a sexual embrace, okay. and that. That at one time. How do they know this, though? Actually, I've even heard that from very orthodox rabbis. Also, they, I've definitely heard about the cherry beam uh, on on um, angels. Uh, um, yes, I mean I've heard different versions. I've heard actually from an orthodox rabbi that these cherry beam, if uh, if Israel was getting along well with God, then they would be locked in an embrace. They didn't actually say the word sexual intercourse, but so. That's some sort of embrace, and when they weren't getting along, they'd be back to back. So I don't know how these cherry bim were moving. Um, my Walt Disney world starts to imagine that. So I've always been fascinated with that image. But Ohad and um, there's a few other rabbis too that have really followed this line of Judaism being very based uh, in Eros, and that there's no separation, that it's actually the Christians that sort of separated um, spirituality and erotic physical love. Physical love, yeah. And physical love. Yeah. What texts or what sources are they looking at to, to support this view of Judaism, this Hebraic view of Judaism pre the rabbis? 
Ohad has actually written on that because he's like he's he's a rabbinic scholar also, so he's written about that. So I mean, it is in the Talmud, but you'd have to. Yeah, their website is Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Like Kabbalah and love. Kabbalah. And so you can read uh, his 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 books there. So they're fairly scholarly. So you know. But they're really into Jewish tantric sex, I would say, and they they really believe that um, the way to God mm-hmm. is through your lover, that your, your, your lover becomes the conduit. What yeah. is Jewish tantric sex? Well, as I say, I think that, I think... Um, it's that concept that... Yes, I think tantric sex in general is the idea that you're going to use your sexuality um, to come to a, a higher spiritual place. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I think that's where they go within the Jewish context. Yeah, your whole body to merge your whole spirits with each other to achieve a higher level of consciousness. Okay. I mean, you okay. know. So that's one end. And then the other end Have of it. Have you guys it, ever tried that? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <laughs> and I mean, and, and I think it's... I guess it's just I, you don't often hear people putting those two words, tantric sex, with Jewish. No, that's very unusual. Rabbi... You know, very, very unusual. I would say very unusual. Well, but but then you know, like one of the, the the metaphors for the whole book was that story about hiding under the bed. I don't know if you're. Can you tell that story? Okay, all right. So so re- this is Reb Levish and Dina. Uh, they told us the story, and it was very interesting because their their story about they, they all mentioned their sex lives. The women mentioned their sex lives more than the men did, but more often we heard the women alluded alluded to to it. it. Yeah, but the women more often alluded to their sex lives than the men did. But with Labish and Dina, she said one of the moments she said was, "I knew the we were standing under the wedding canopy, and he took my hand, and I felt like a million dollars, and I knew I'd made the right decision." And this was the first time he had ever touched her. Right. And she said, but you can tell, because they're an orthodox, she said, but you could tell, you can tell by the way he handles, and I thought she was going to say handles dogs, but she said by the way he handles spiders, which really surprised me. But apparently there's some people, like if there's a spider, they don't just slap it, they kind of, they kind of pick it up and they put it outside. (laughs) So that really must have been So if you're orthodox, you have to learn these like sort of like ways to figure out like how, how they're going to be in bed later, right? (laughs) And that's one of the things they do right? so, check out how right. they handle a spider so, so, so as we there's sit down yeah. can use, right? so, <laughs> just, there's a lot of little specific things in there to notice right so but back, okay, but so, sorry, back to so, the story. so we're sitting there talking to him and, and, and she says she's, she says to Labish tell them the story the story was that's in the Talmud that there was a very famous rabbi who had a student and the student wanted to know how the rabbi made love to his wife how, how the great teacher made love. So he hid under the rabbi's bed. The rabbi comes in, it's Saturday night, he's singing, so on and so forth. They're making love on the bed, and the student yells out from under the bed, oh my gosh, rabbi, it's like you're a person who's never eaten meat before. And and then the rabbi stops. What? Says, what are you doing, what are you doing under the bed? And the student says, well, this is also Torah I need to learn. And so Labish then says that it's in there, it's in there as a story, and it's in there as a story about a famous rabbi, and it's making that point that this is 
stuff you need to learn. And you need to learn by, by realizing it really happens. And that it's good. And that is good. I mean, I think I, I think that's a, a, a common misconception that, you know, I've heard people say, oh, right, rabbis are allowed to marry. It's not about allowed. I mean, in the Talmud, and, and a lot of them talk about it, they say, you know, they they talk about how important it is that the man must pleasure the woman, not just get her pregnant, but she is to be pleasured. And on Shabbos, you're supposed to to have sex. I mean, the, the, that somehow we, I don't know how we, how it got distorted that somehow that, you know, sex and uh, spirituality don't go together. That's part of it, you know, about the rabbis, you know, and everyone goes, rabbis and love? Like, what, what, what does, do rabbis have to do with love? You know, but really Judaism is based on love relationships. I was going to ask you about exactly that. Like what what would rabbis have to teach uh, couples about sex? Um, And so you've given a few examples. What are some of the things that they... Uh, had learnt or had to share? I would go to like Dina and Labish, you know, that the first time that they touch hands is actually under the wedding canopy. But they practice um, a Jewish, an Orthodox Jewish custom, which is called um, Nida, which means that after every period, uh, when the period starts for 12 days after that, they don't touch each other at all. And after that, they go to a mikvah, which is like a, um, a purification um, ritual bath, and then they get together. Now, what they talk about is that it's not just about the physical purification, that they actually have what they dubbed an emotional mikvah every month, which means that before they're going to sleep together, they clear emotionally whatever's going on. They actually shared with us that um, they were in the middle of a fight right then as we were interviewing them and that <laughs> she was going to be going to the mikvah the next day. And they know that they are going to emotionally clear that fight because <laughs> they've been waiting 12 days and they want to get together and they are not going to get together until they clear the emotional baggage. They say it's like getting married again every month. So do it's, any of the other couples that like that you've uh, interviewed, even if they weren't Orthodox, do they follow this practice? Uh, yes, I've got a great example. Don and Ohad. They're the the, the couple that was couple. the Hebraic path Jewish tantric okay. sex couple. Uh, what what they talk about, which um, we even decided whether we should even edit it out of the book or not, <laughs> is no, well, I'll tell that after. But is that. Um, <laughs> well, I'm scared. I don't know if, I, if we can even handle it. It looks pretty wonderful. <laughs> okay, well, this part, uh, we even hesitated, but I think this is really relevant. Don shares the story that Ohad's an artist. He actually takes her menstrual blood and creates a lion out of her menstrual blood. It's paints. an art. He paints it with, with her blood. It's a, it's, it's a picture of a lion and how she loves it. And... So from there, I talked about, well, do they, obviously, they don't uh, observe uh, Nida in the traditional sense of the separation, she says, but they do observe their own style of it, which is that he will not approach her during that time. If she wants intimacy from him, 
it's her prerogative. She will approach him during that time, but he won't approach her. So what they do is they take the principle of the separation and they reform it in a way that makes, um, makes sense for them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, so we we edited. We were we were we were unsure about how much to include. For example, so some of the some of the references are very discreet. What well, Caroline says, uh, Caroline said, you know, they describes how she and Chaim would be uh, sitting in bed uh, Saturday night, Friday night after Sabbath dinner, after all the house guests and the kids and everybody's to bed, and they're just sitting in bed together. The house is quiet, and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking, and then they make love. And then she said something about how it's so wonderful when he makes you feel good down there. That, that was about as that was so as modestly revealing. But on the other hand, then and the part cut out was uh, was when Ohad and Dawn were talking about the, their private life and, and very uh, candid, very candid. And oh, and Dawn said something about holding his penis, speaking to his penis. Praying, praying to, to his, his penis, penis confessing, confessing to, to his, his penis, and and Marilyn said, "Well, we don't, we got, we can't include confessing to the penis." And, and I yeah, said, he's going, "Well, why not?" And I said, "Because it's goyish." That's why. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> confessing is not something. Confessing is not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the rest of it was fine. The rest of it's fine, but the confessing's not okay because it's it's not Jewish, right? <laughs> so, is, so that's not in the book. We even cut out the praying to the penis because we thought it was. Um, uh, maybe going a little bit too far for this kind of book. So we actually cut it out, and some people were disappointed. Yeah. We did a little test run on people, and like people are going, ah, you can't put that in the book. So, well, so Although the younger people said, oh, you got to put that in the book.
Welcome back to Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. And uh, in the book, the rabbis have a lot of things to teach from their own experiences. And sometimes it's from arguments and challenges. I was kind of worried that when I started reading the book, I was going to feel discouraged by reading the peachy keen love lives of the spiritually enlightened amongst us. But it turns out that uh, rabbis actually struggle with a lot of the same crap that everyone else struggles with. And sometimes they even lose faith in love. Shefa Gold and Rachmiel O'Regan, they were from... It's Rabbi Shefa. Rabbi Shefa Gold, right. And so from New Mexico, Arizona? Mm -hmm. New Mexico. New Mexico, right. And uh, they met late in life. So they met both in their 50s, having had a history of previous relationships, being ready to just give up on the idea of relationship. And then both of them sort of independently and separately doing some kind of prayer and meditation to restore hopefulness. And then they meet. (laughs) And then right away, uh, they connect and... uh, People, a lot of people don't believe that relationships are possible, that long, deep, spiritual relationships are possible. And Shefa even talked about um, that she had this insight, well, a message actually, that her form of spirituality was through vision, which was the breaking of hearts, almost that each time that she broke up, it would bring her closer to God, which, you know, happens in troubled times, you know, you turn to God. It was almost like that she was using the breakup of her relationships to sort of the longing and the breakup and the vulnerability to get closer to God. And, And then all of a sudden she has this vision that the path of fusion, where she can actually come to God with a partner, that she doesn't have to break up, that there's a way to um, to have both things in your life at one time. And I think, I think that's a change for a lot of people. I think a lot of people think of spirituality as being very the, the lonely path or on top of the mountain, alone, you're going off to meditate by yourself. The two of them um, work, that's, that's their work. They work that out together. Yeah, but... but- but but also when 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 they get to that level where where they love the relationship and they love what happens between them and they accept all the little dark stuff that they have to deal with and 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 they learn to be forgiving and generous uh the relationship really does turn out to be a lot of fun and 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 it's also it's also sexy and they're uh and they just are and very vital and that does overflow and just naturally into the world it's it's easy to be you know when you're in love the whole world is jewish you're also what did you ever hear that phrase <laughs> no this is from my parents generation back when they lived when my parents lived in a, in a world that where they were surrounded by anti-semitism uh, they would they, they used to say that you know but when you're in love the whole world is jewish <laughs> which I means everybody's welcoming <laughs> so, uh, where are they a, from uh, kansas city missouri you know oh, okay. that's, a, that's pretty anachronistic i didn't know it was such an anachronism <laughs> when you're in love the whole world is jewish I've never heard that expression before. That's cute. Uh, So now a few of the couples in the book are comprised of two rabbis, like Rabbi Grushkow from the Reform Temple here in Montreal and her wife, Rabbi Myers. And in this next clip, Nadia and Victor Gross, another rabbi couple, teach us something about relationships, but also what it can even mean to be a rabbi at all. Victor and Nadia, 
they had a good connection and, and, and they liked the team, but at some point, uh, 10 years into the marriage, and uh, there was a, he remembers, now this is looking back, that they've been married 30 years, 35, what was it, 30 years? So he's 40, they 40, 42 years. So he's remembering something that happened 30 years ago. Okay. <laughs> of, of standing in the living room and and how the relationship had got had really started to degenerate into a kind of an ego battle where where they were really resenting the drag each other they had on each other you know and they were starting to have friends outside the marriage and stuff like that and not happy and then he remembers standing there and she's in the room and he realizes that he really does love the relationship and he loves being with her and he's going to do whatever it takes and uh, like whatever work he's ready to do the work and from that point they actually um they uh, they're the only couple in the book they were ordained as one rabbi the two of them together are one rabbi what yes what does that mean <laughs> one soul one soul wait is, a second is, this is which rabbis victor, this and, is nadia victor and nadia gross. What, okay and they're rabbis in which tradition um, renewal, renewal. renewal Judaism. They were ordained um, by given smicha by Zalman as one rabbi, and they teach as one as one. So they do a lot of couple couple teaching, couple modeling, yeah. and they. I mean, uh, I mean, a crazy idea of Mashiach as a couple. They almost like they embody it because they're like a spirit together. They're a spiritual teacher. And they've been together for 42 years. And by the way, just to give you an example of her first moment, she's like 16 years old, and she comes from a Spartic, very mystical tradition. She sees him and knows immediately that this is going to be her husband. She has a psychic moment where she understands that. She's 16, he's 20. Five. He doesn't even know she exists. So that's 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 how it starts. Okay. That's that's her her genesis moment that we've been calling them the genesis moments where she realizes this is going to be the man. It's ten years later when we talk about okay they're not getting along so well. Part of it is because she's following her psychic mystical tradition and keeping it a secret from him because he's very rational and intellectual and doesn't accept that world. So they're sort of, how are these two worlds going to come together? It takes a whole lifetime for them to work out, okay, how are we going to, how are, how are we going to do it? And we asked like for a current challenge today, and it's the same thing, okay? It's like it's still the 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 same challenge of maybe he's more rational and she's more mystical and and, and how do they, how do they work that out? They're working they're still working it out 42 years later, but it's all good. It's not like oh, that's it's like good trouble, right? Mhm. Well, let me just ask a question. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. First of all, mm -hmm. are they allowed to teach individually, or are they not allowed because they're only a rabbi as one? They've only been he was a rabbi first when they even when they met. Yeah. He was a rabbi, and she wanted to be a rabbi, but instead, at sixteen, she ends up marrying him. Right, and she she um, that that part of her life gets detained. Later on, she 
becomes a rabbi too, and they become a rabbi. Okay, so he was he a conservative rabbi, or he also was conservative. He was a conservative rabbi. Then she later, after I, maybe they had kids or something. Yes, yes, they have kids. She became a rabbi in which tradition? Um, renewal. Renewal. I think, it, I think in renewal tradition. Yeah. And then from Solomon. Yeah. He's Are the you? granddaddy of um, renewal Judaism, basically. Okay. Okay. So then he later ordained them as a rabbi together as a couple. Co- right. Correct. So they're. Okay. So they are both rabbis in their own rights, but I think that we asked, as far as we know, they're the only couple that is ordained as a rabbi together. Yeah. But we were searching for something different. The sounds of Jewish Berlin today. Performance artist and sex worker Liad Hussein Kantorovich dresses up an old tradition. Coming to Passover and drag seems to be a lot more fun. German people kind of have this uh, guilt complex, so we allow them to be the slaves and the Jews to be the Egyptians. Coming this winter, Shtetl, Berlin. There'll Stay be a tuned. hot time in the town of Berlin when the Yanks... 
Welcome back to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I seem to have a problem and I can't stop playing cheesy 80s music. The last song you heard was the amazing classic by Stacey Q, Two of Hearts. And that's exactly why I need a musical director on Shtetl. Anybody? Anybody out there? Um, so uh, we just got a couple of more clips with uh, Marilyn and uh, Philip. And uh, in this next one, they talk with Rabbi Ronnie and Karen Kahana, who are spiritual leaders in the conservative movement here in Montreal. There's all these different types of uh, strains of Judaism. There's reform, orthodox, conservative, renewal, and, and others. And they're from the conservative movement. And we had interviewed them for Shtetl after Rabbi Kahana had suffered a very serious stroke. We also interviewed his very talented daughter, Kitra, about her photography that includes a series on her father after a stroke. Thankfully, Rabbi Kahana has made a lot of progress since we last interviewed him. And in this clip... We find out what keeps his and Karen Kahana's relationship strong. After each interview, we sat down together and said, okay, what is the blue thread in this interview? What is, and of course the blue thread is um, in a talus, in a prayer shawl. The blue thread in the talus is uh, supposed to be there for the reminder of the divine. So what in this relationship is a reminder to us of the divine. Okay, so what was an example of uh, the blue thread in some of these relationships that stood out for you? Well, Ronnie and Karen was the first one, and for them it was Sabbath, and and they how they set that time apart and, and really use that time to be uh, to get away from the bluster of the void the bluster of the void was ronnie's uh, phrase where they would sort of be in this very special space that had a certain spirit and and, and I, I just remember yeah. like what um what ronnie said he says that's the time where you sit down with your lover and you say tell me your secrets yeah. tell me who you are yeah. Um, I don't know you. I'm going to. I'm going to discover you again this week. So, so they do that every single week. They do that How every long have single. They been they've been thirty-five there, years. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah well, they've been together thirty-five. They've been together thirty-five, thirty-six yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to be a practicing Jew. You don't even have to be Jewish, right? This idea of once a week you set apart, I mean, we go Sabbath, Sabbath, yeah, we know what Sabbath is, but we don't know what Sabbath is. If Sabbath means you're going to set apart this quality time where you sit down and rediscover your lover. I mean, we started off the interview with Ronnie and Karen, and um, we said, okay, tell us what you know about something after 35 years that you didn't know after 15, and Ronnie goes, Nothing. <laughs> so we go, nothing? He goes, nothing. No. It's, it's You're always new. in wonder. You're always courting. So every Shabbos, they go back to the courting. I mean, who wouldn't want that in their relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about, you know, yeah. love, right? Très romantique. <laughs> Um, something to aspire to, I think. I asked Marilyn and Philip, uh, who really is this book for? It's for lovers and for lover wannabes, and it's for Jews and for Jew curious. I mean, I think for a lot of people, they'll just find it interesting because it's sort of a, a peek into a, a whole world 
um, that maybe people don't know about. And I, I think for other people, it's it's got so many messages about, first of all, that love is possible, that deep love is possible, and that, you know, as you read the stories, if you're not with someone at, at the time, it's like, oh, this is what I want. And I think for people that are in a relationship, um, a lot of people now are reading the book in bed together with their with their partner. What what would you say is one of the most important things that you would say stands out that you took from this book? You know, whenever there was anything I really wanted to learn, I wanted to watch somebody else do it, not hear a theory about it. And and uh, I, wa- I watched these couples. They all had, they did love in such interesting ways. And, and I took pieces of it for myself and, and incorporated it into my own life. So that's it for my interview with Marilyn Bronstein and Philip Beloved, the authors of Rabbis in Love. And um, Philip is also a psychologist and a therapist who's worked with families and couples for many years. And you can check out his blog at drbeloved.com. That's actually his last name. It's D-R-B-E-L-O-V-E.com. And to find out more about the book or to order a copy, go to rabbis-in-love.com and you can uh, find out about uh, the details of the book. And there's uh, stories from interviews with rabbis from uh, all over the place, including a couple of pretty prominent rabbis in Montreal, like Rabbi Bernath uh, from uh, Chabad, I think, in Monkland. Uh, and uh, Leibish and Dina Hundert and Rabbi Kahana. Actually, I have to say, I'm impressed and I strongly admire these people for sharing the intimate stories about their romances, the the challenges, their sex lives, everything. It's uh, it's pretty rock and roll in my opinion. So way to go, rabbis. And uh, we're going to be back with Damon Hankoff in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk to him from Quebec City. But before, I wanted to mention a couple of things that are happening. This Saturday night at 8 o'clock, Itimanska, they're having their CD launch at the Conservatoire at 4750 Henri Julien. And they are a sweet dialogue between saxophone and accordion with talented Montrealers Ariane Morin and Yoni Katzen. Beautiful music and very unique improvisation that they do. So that's this Saturday night at 8 p.m. It's got a Turkish kind of influence. And also there's a reading of a play by Oren Safdie happening this weekend. The play is called Boycott This, and uh, according to the description, in this drama spanning conflicts from 1930s Poland to a future state of Palestine, a Jewish tourist in present-day Mexico spirals out of control when he sees a Boycott Israel poster. So this is from Infinite Theatre, and it's happening this Saturday night at Bain Saint-Michel, 5300 Saint-Dominic, and it's a very provocative title uh, and apparently a, a pretty interesting play. And this next song that we're going to hear has a new video I'll post it on the Shtetl's Facebook page where I'm also going to post uh, the link for the Rabbis in Love book and I'm going to give away a copy to to uh, somebody who responds to the link on Facebook. Uh, so this song is Bar Minan and uh, it's in Ladino and we'll be back with Damon Hankoff on Shtetl on the Shortwave. <laughs> Me la hacen que pase 
moda mueva mosquitaro Las sillas de Rivington Cuando salen a la plaza Se les menea el Digidon Se les menea el Digidon Se les menea el Digidon Eres de cotijo, madre Un fuego quería echar This is Charles Brelly, and you are listening to Stato's One of the Best. Keep listening, find more knowledge of it. Welcome back to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. It's 11.45. And we are going to be speaking right now with Damon Hankoff from our nation's capital, Quebec City. Damon, you there? Hi. Hi, Tamara. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you? Good, good. Doing great. Great. So uh, so what are you doing in Quebec City? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm studying up here. I'm studying. There's a, there's a school up here that is, as far as I know, unique in Canada. It's the École Nationale de Lutherie, um, which is a school uh, for instrument making. So I'm, I'm learning to, uh, to build violins. For a New Yorker, you have a pretty good French accent, I've noticed. <laughs> Thanks to uh, <laughs> owning it, especially since I've been here. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question about the uh, the the show that you're going to be playing December 17th at uh, Café Résonance. Um, what uh, what made you name your band Out of Sight of Land? Oh, uh, oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually I was um, this is a new project. Um, I've been writing songs for a while, um, but never really performed them in public until quite recently, until about like less than a year ago, and. Uh, So it was like this year that I was really thinking, like, I'm going to start performing, I'm going to release an album, like, I need a name, I need a name. And it took me a while to, uh, to settle on something. But ultimately, like, I played a couple of shows with a, uh, with a, um, like, a temporary name. And then uh, people were telling me that, like, uh, that the, the music that I, that I write and that I sing, like, sort of evokes, like, ocean-y <laughs> imagery, like the sea and stuff. And it's true that I sort of, I, uh, oftentimes the lyrics that I write like uh, talk about this sea. So I thought, you know, so I, I tried to uh, find something that was uh, that was nice, a name that maybe had something to do with the ocean. And I was reading Moby Dick around the time, so I was leafing through Moby Dick, and it's just uh, I just fell upon this phrase which occurs several times in Moby Dick, which is out of sight of land, which basically means you know far enough out at sea that you're surrounded by water. And it sort of it sort of hit me and. Uh, And the true test was like even a few days later, I still liked it, so I so I decided to uh, to keep it. And and you know, and the thing is, you have to Google a name to make sure that somebody else has it first. So I Googled it, and it seems like it's cool. Okay, so, uh, it's a great so name, and it's true that the music does evoke 
water and being at sea. So it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And in, in like a minute, we'll, we'll give people a sample so they can hear a bit of what the music is like. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, there's so much I could ask you about. Like, first of all, you were once the technician at Shtetl on the shortwave. So that was one thing you were doing in Montreal in Jewish arts and culture. But you also had other activities like, I mean, I've been saying that you've called yourself a fake cantor. Why do you say fake cantor? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're if a cantor is a cantor, it's a certain thing. And, you know, you, you, have, a, you have to study and you have to be approved by, you know, whatever board of... of uh, of, of approval, you know, and and so I was I was singing um, at services at uh, uh, Temple Emmanuel in West Mountain, and also sort of weddings and 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 uh, and some funerals actually as well that were associated with that congregation, and sort of fulfilling a cantor's role, but but I couldn't really call myself a cantor, so so uh, I would call myself like a sort of imposter cantor, um, but yeah, that was uh, when I was still living in Montreal, I was doing uh, doing some doing some singing over there, which was. Uh, which was really, you know, really interesting. And it was a bit of a complicated um, relationship for you, right? Uh, a complicated relationship? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't even know, like, if I should even be talking about this on Shtetl. I'm going to ask you another question. <laughs> Let's go to... Oh, no. Well, I mean, yeah, like, I, I think I know what you're alluding to. Like, I was also singing in a church choir, you know, and... Uh, and then singing it, I was singing it another at, at uh, Shar Shemayim at the um, in the men's choir at Shar Shemayim. So I was sort of, you know, I was sort of, uh, uh, you know, in in do, playing all different kinds of roles in the city, and and so, which which some would some would maybe see as mutually exclusive, but I of course did not see that way. So so uh, so yeah, but it, I mean, it was a great, it was a it's a it's a great it's a great city actually, Montreal for for such things. Like there's a lot of religious institutions that have like great music. You know, so so that's one of that's one of Montreal's, uh, you know, something to Montreal's credit. Did you sing at any other types of inst? Like, where did you sing at mosques or? Um... <laughs> no, no, I'm still looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> no, be cool. I mean, I, you know, I guess uh, any, anything could happen, but I don't. I don't see that on the immediate horizon, you know. Okay, I'm going to take a quick little break so people can actually hear what it's like to be out at sea with out of sight of land. And we'll come back and I'm going to ask you a little bit more uh, about your, your recent travels. Okay, hold on just a second. This is Out of Sight of Land and the song is called Baby Don't Go.
Sorry, I'm doing that thing that I hate doing on Shtetl, which is cutting a song off, but I went a bit over time with the rabbis talking about love and sex. <laughs> That's okay. It was, it was worthwhile, you know? <laughs> That's a beautiful song. When your dough's all gone, you can't sing the same song. Yeah, yeah. And I like how you repeat it over and over. When your dough's all gone. I mean, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> really, yeah. It's good for the holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, Damon, you just were, uh, you came back last year from a, a, a trip uh, to Ramallah? Yeah, well, more than a trip, you know. How long, was, were you, how long were you there for? I was there for about a year. Okay, and what were you doing there? Um, I was teaching at a school in Ramallah Music School, which is called El Kemenjati. Um, and uh, El Kemenjati uh, offers music lessons. Like, most of the students there are on scholarship, and they're mostly um, mostly living in various refugee camps, like around Ramallah, but also elsewhere in, uh, in the West Bank. And so, yeah, it's, it's like an after-school music school for, for kids that, you know, really wouldn't have the opportunity to, uh, to learn a musical instrument to get, like, sort of one-on-one attention from a teacher uh, otherwise. So it's a pretty, cool, a pretty cool project. What is it like living in Ramallah from your perspective? Like, what, what did you observe? Oh, well, I mean, uh, I think... Uh, I think we all know that it's, you know, an extremely complex uh, situation um, in Israel and Palestine. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's there's no no way at all to to sum it up. Um, right. But uh, but uh, you know, I saw lots of extremely discouraging um, and disheartening things, and lots of you know very beautiful and wonderful things, and and uh, and it's all it's all. Uh, it's all tied up there, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Were there any particular students that you had that stood out? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, as a, you know, as a teacher, you, you, you never want to have favorites, you know, but, but you always end up having favorites. So, yeah, I mean, I had, I had certain, certain students that were just like, just um, really fun to, really fun to spend a little bit of time with every week and like some that were, some that, you know, really took the time to practice and really liked it. And actually, there, yeah, yeah, there were there were two two young girls that were sisters, and I taught both of them. And by the end of the year, I got them to play Heart and Soul together. You know that that tune, Heart and Soul. How does it go? It's like dum bum bum da 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 dum bum. And there's like an accompaniment, and I think it's something that often kids learn as maybe their first thing on the piano. Anyway, I got the two of them to play it together, and it was that was towards the end of the year, and it was sort of like oh, this this is awesome. <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was you know, there were, I, there were, I had a lot of a lot of really great great students and great interactions with them. You know. Do you think you'd go back there? Um, it's a funny thing. I think about it like uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Like there's something enchanting about um, about the Holy Land. I mean, maybe about the Middle East in general, or maybe there's something just enchanting about having an experience overseas. Um, but for for whatever of those reasons, yeah. I mean, I think about I think about Palestine very often, and, and uh, you know, I wish it were a little closer. Um, but I, I I hope that uh, that I'll have the chance to go back. Uh, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Okay, I've got two more questions for you. Um, one is, so you're in Quebec City, and a lot of people are talking about the Charter, and I hear a lot about um, people's perspectives on the Charter of uh, Secular Values here in Montreal, but I'm just curious, like, what are you hearing over there? What are people saying about it there? Yeah, I, I was actually, I was thinking about this. I mean, the thing is, uh, I'm sort of new in town up here, and, and uh I, I've yet to develop much of a social social network. So my, my most of my social interactions happen at the Sejap where I study, and, and a lot of my colleagues are like pretty young, and it's just it's sort of like at least in the in the little bubble where I am, like it's not even really on the map. Which I think maybe you could say that in general about Quebec. I don't want to make any general statements, but I almost feel like it's not so much of an issue here, which is which says a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like because I mean per- personally, I think that it's. It's just a, a scandalous project. I think it's scandalously discriminatory. But but like people don't really seem to give give a give a, a damn either us. way up here. You know, like maybe because uh, it's just it's much more homogenous in Quebec City, um, and yeah, maybe people are just I don't know more in line with um, with a certain kind of. Uh, I don't want to be too too general, but a certain a certain kind of like Quebecois nationalist outlook, a certain like a discourse that's that's been alive for the past fifty years or so. Like people are pretty accepting of that up here, whereas there's a whole lot more criticism um, in Montreal. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Is that like something that you would engage people on? Like, would you do you feel comfortable talking with other students about the like this type of issue? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I was I was thinking sort of maybe half jokingly like that if they did pass the charter maybe i would because i frequent a, 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 a you know a public institution i go to a, the school where i study as part of a stage up and i thought you know maybe i could start wearing a kippa like it's sort of i'm not you know i'm not that kind of religious jew that would normally wear a kippa but i feel like you know i i i would like to engage with with uh with this issue in in some way and uh and sort of make it known that you know it's not uh not everybody is okay with this. Thinks that this is that this this so-called um, laicite uh, is, is is a good idea. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damon. Yes. Like, what about coming back to Montreal and teching for shtetl on the shortwave again? I need you. <laughs> Let me see what my what my class schedule is like next semester. We can talk. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, okay, that that brings us to the end of the show. So my last question that I was going to ask you, which was a pretty naughty question, actually, <laughs> I'm going to save it for our, our phone call after. Um, it was uh, an insider uh, insider question about a particular uh, um, bachelor party that you were you were employed on. But anyways, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll leave we'll leave Montreal <laughs> hanging on that. One. And uh, I look forward to uh, to coming to your show on uh, December 17th, right, at Café Résonance? 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be the 17th at Resonance. Uh, it's 9 p.m. And yeah, it's, it's out of sight line, so it'll be me and an accordion playing the accordion, singing like on the recording. But there's also uh, going to be a little orchestra, a little chamber orchestra playing with us because um, a good friend, Isaac Goldschneider, who's actually a great klezmer clarinetist, uh, arranged the tunes. So there's going to be a little orchestra with a string quartet called Warhol Dervish. They're a really cool band. And then Malcolm Saylor, who's a, a local uh, musician, is presenting some of his music, So it's, it's, uh, which is called Harp of the North. So anyway, it's, it's going to be a really nice evening, so I encourage anybody to come out, and it's pay what you can. And it's always great to talk to you, Damon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tamara. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Damon Hankoff, and thank you to him, to Marilyn Bronstein and Philip Belove. Uh, check out their book, Rabbis in Love. And uh, we're going to go out with a song. Well, before we do, actually, there's an article in Shtetl that I would love for people to check out. It's uh, it's about the recent Lamoud that happened here in Montreal. It's by Adam Kovac, and it's called This Is How We Jew It. It's a little bit critical, a little bit of tough love on Lamoud and the Jewish community. So I'd be curious to hear what people think of his article. You can read that at shtetlmontreal.com. We're going to go out with Pata Pata by Miriam Makeba in honor of Nelson Mandela, who is a big influence on myself and a lot of Jewish people that I know. And may he rest in peace. This is Miriam Makeba, who is uh, one of the biggest singers who helped in ending uh, the apartheid era in South Africa. Okay, that's actually Damon Hankoff. I don't know what he had to do with ending apartheid in South Africa, but Miriam McCabe did have a lot to do with it.
Hello, this is Rabbi Gershom Sizomu, the spiritual lead of the Abidaya congregation in Uganda. You are here live on Stato on the short web. Sanyusi zanomuri mu 